Looking for your next TV show or movie to binge? Well, buckle up, grab the remote, and settle into your couch for this special edition of Crossing the Streams. We're here to help you tune in and get the most out of those 50 monthly streaming channels you're currently paying for. So without any further ado, here's your host of Crossing the Streams, Jeff Dwoskin. It's Jeff Dwoskin, your host for this bonus episode of Classic Conversations featuring Crossing the Streams. What is that? Great question. This amazing bonus episode is put together from various live segments from the live show we do every Wednesday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time on YouTube. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and you can watch live. But for this bonus episode, we grab three segments from across the 70 plus episodes we've done, and we bring them right to your ears. What is Crossing the Streams? We answer the universal question. What should I be watching next? Hey, I just finished X. What should I do now? We fill in all the blanks for you, give you tons of great TV watching suggestions. It's me, a bunch of my friends. We get together week after week, we bring in guests. We talk about TV shows, movies, anything that you can get on your streaming channels. So it's tons of fun. And that's why I pop it into the Classic Conversations feed. Sometimes you need a break from a TV film comedian interview and you just need to know some TV shows you should be watching. At least I hope that's the case. Anyway, today it's a great episode. We got Larry Roberts talking about Teen Wolf from episode 68. I'm going to discuss the Bob Ross documentary from episode 39 and going all the way back to episode 16. Howard Rosner, fan favorite, is talking about the last blockbuster documentary. So we got a great show for you today. Lots of great segments. If you like what you hear, just head on over to the YouTube channel. You can listen to the whole episode Sometimes we reference things that if you watch the whole episode, you kind of get it. There's a lot of fun stuff that happens week after week. Anyway, but without further ado, I'm going to turn this over to Larry Roberts to talk to us about his favorite movie ever, Teen Wolf. Take it away, Larry. Let's go back in time to a simpler time. <laughs> to a much simpler time. A much yeah. simpler time when Michael J. Fox ruled the world. Yeah. Teen Fox was just a feather in his cap. Take us through the world of Teen Wolf. Yeah, but man. You Teen know, Fox and Teen Wolf. Teen Fox, <laughs> Teen Wolf. We're, we're, we're close. You know, it's one of those. First off, I want to say thank you for teaching me how to pronounce that uh, that Kanye special because I had no idea what the name of that thing was. So at least I'm going to take one thing away from this and hopefully somebody out there also learned a little something tonight. But before we dial it back, last time I was here, we talked about Flash Gordon because I am a child of the <laughs> 80s and I love Flash Gordon. But coming in a close, close, close second of my all-time favorite movies is Teen Wolf. And Teen Wolf teaches us a variety of lessons when we watch the show. But the one, I think it's the very first movie where we heard the phrase, with great power comes great responsibility. responsibility. Exactly. And that's exactly what the lesson was here. One of the many lessons that we learned from this awesome movie. And, you know, the movie itself was, was kind of a breakout hit. Michael J. Fox didn't know it was going to do anything for him. Matter of fact, he wasn't all that really on board with doing it. And if you read his latest book, he talks about it a little bit, but he has nothing good to say about the movie. He hated being in the costume. He wasn't able to eat solid foods while in makeup or anything along those lines. And although it was only a 21-day shoot, 
It was a very, very long three weeks for Michael J. Fox. But the movie starts off with teen angst. Uh, being 13 years old in 1985, this movie spoke to me in that regard. We see our uh, we, we see Scott or Michael J. Fox. Scott is the character that he plays. We see him suddenly start to go through some changes and they're unexpected changes. His voice gets deep and gravelly in certain scenarios. He's finding hair in weird places, which at 13 years old, I think we probably related to that as well. So another connection point there in the movie. Uh, he has uh, the hot chick that he's in love with and he just wants to date, but he's also kind of a nerd. So, of course, the hot chick isn't giving him the time of day. But then we have Boof over here and Boof is a cutie, but she's also the girl next door. Not the type of girl that Scott wants to get with because he wants to be one of the cool kids. Well, one of the problems with Scott also is that he's not exactly an athlete and he's on the basketball team. And by far, the Beavers, which was the name of the school's mascot, the Beavers were the worst basketball team you ever saw in your life. In the midst of one of their horrible games where their coach is on the sidelines literally eating boiled eggs because he has no interest in coaching the game, we see Scott get dogpiled, and lo and behold, next thing you know, boom, we have ourselves a werewolf on the basketball court. And not only is he a werewolf, he is a very talented ball player when he becomes a werewolf. So out of the blue, Scott now takes over the game. He is the hairy Michael Jordan of 1985, and we see him slam dunking and stealing and making three-point shots, and you name it, he's doing it. He is the all-around one-man team. And this does a lot for him. It gives him popularity with all the cool kids, with all the nerd kids. He's kind of a champion of everybody. And in a way, we see that he has superpowers. But in many of the superhero movies we see these days, everybody's trying to hide their identity. Well, Scott, no, not him. He wants to come out and he wants everybody to know that he is the Teen Wolf because now his life is changing. Suddenly the hot chick has an interest in him, but whoa, she's got a boyfriend that's really tough and hardcore and he's not scared of the wolf. So now we have this antagonistic relationship between Scott and the hot girl's boyfriend. And of course that comes to a head at the school dance where Scott ends up wolfing out and lashing out and actually slashing at the boyfriend. And he realizes at that time, man, I think I'm taking this Teen Wolf thing too far. I don't know what to do. So, of course, there's a heart-to-heart -heart with Dad. He comes to grip with his wolfdom, decides that he's going to continue ba playing basketball, and lo and behold, they've made it to the championships because of all the talent that Scott possesses when he's the, the hairy basketball wonder. Uh, but he decides he's going to go to the championship game as Scott, not as Teen Wolf. So we see the team struggle. We see the protagonist, the hot girlfriend's boyfriends on the opposing basketball team. They go at it. Lo and behold, it comes down to the final foul of the game. And Scott is fouled and he goes to the free throw line with they're down by one point. They need two points to win. And what happens? Well, of course, as Scott, not the wolf, we see him sink both of those baskets and go on to become a champion. So... There's so much awesomeness in this movie, and it just makes you feel all warm and fuzzy. Not only that, there's this amazing soundtrack, and people say it's not really amazing. I think it was amazing, and I can still listen to it to this day and kind of get chilled up a little bit. But it's the surprise factor of the fact that it became a hit and somewhat of a cult hit after the fact. And if you look back in 1985, Michael J. Fox was on top of the world. He had the number one movie with Back to the Future. He had the number two movie coming out making $31 million with Teen Wolf, which blew everybody's mind. Not only did he secure the number two spot on the movie charts, but it actually spawned a cartoon, which uh, failed miserably. It didn't feature Michael J. Fox. The only returning character to the cartoon was actually the gentleman that played his dad in the movie. He, he lent his voice talents to the cartoon. It went for a total of 21 episodes, and it was just really, really, really bad. 
But to top that off as if the cartoon wasn't bad enough, later on we get a sequel to the movie called Teen Wolf 2, as in T-O-O, as in also. But Michael J. Fox had had enough of the hairy costume and decided he was going to pass on this one. So we snagged Jason Bateman, who is now of Ozark fame. And I mean, he's not just of Ozark fame. Everybody knows who Jason Bateman is. And he's just an amazing actor. But at the time, he was struggling. And Teen Wolf 2 kind of put a dent in things and uh, really put a damper on his career because Teen Wolf 2 wasn't nearly as as creative, as fun, as lighthearted, and as endearing as its predecessor. Really, it had none of the same qualities whatsoever. It did try to copy the format. We did have a sports theme, but this time Jason Bateman goes to college and he wants to be a veterinarian, but he has no skills as a veterinarian. He ends up wolfing out and goes into boxing for some odd reason. And he wolfs out and wins the college boxing title as a wolf. Uh, comes to grips with the fact, same thing. You know, it's the same thing, but it's just not that heartwarming feature that we had in the first one. So I still, to this day, go back and watch Teen Wolf. I promise you, I'll watch it at least once, maybe twice a year even. It's just a great movie for me. It's a lot of fun. And again, there's a lot of very, very valuable lessons. Uh, And again, the primary one is the one that was just reinforced in Spider-Man No Way Home when May told us once again that with great power comes great responsibility. Mm. I read that the person who added that to the Teen Wolf movie was a writer in the on the Spider-Man comics. That is correct. I think it's Jim wow. Jim Loeb, I believe, wrote, wrote for Spider-Man. He wrote for Batman. Uh, he wrote for the Hulk. He he wrote for several, several comics. And, you know, that's one of the things that they look back on and they talk about. It was really a superhero movie. And even if you look at the cover art that you had up just before I started my, my presentation here, he's sitting there with the, you know, the, the jacket pulled back and he's exposing, there you go, the chest logo, just like we see Superman do time after time. So this was essentially a superhero movie in disguise yet almost confusing genre of a film because if you think back in the 80s horror movies were all the rage back then we had the lost boys with the vampire gigs we had fright night another vampire gig we had uh, uh nightmare on elm street which came out at a similar time and that was all the horror genre and they introduced this movie but it wasn't uh it wasn't a horror movie it wasn't a comedy movie it wasn't a family movie where the hell did this thing where's it supposed to fit it didn't really fit and that was another one of the things that made it such a surprising hit Two things you're, I, you're I'd like to fan. say. You have a fan, Larry. If you Thank you, that. Richard. I appreciate that. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, my friggin' brother. Um, oh, uh, well, thank you. <laughs> that's that's Richard Von Lippy Pants. Uh, so first off, I admission, I, I can't believe I'm going to say this on, you know, worldwide. I've never seen it. Oh my I, God, for real? I've never seen Teen Wolf. I, you know, and I, I always hear about it. It was, it's like a, a gap in the repertoire. I recognize it. I just haven't corrected it yet. Where, you got to go back. You got to go back. One, where does one find it? Is it on Netflix or where do you get it? I think you can actually watch it for free on YouTube, to be honest with you. Interesting. It's interesting it's a 21-day shoot because like a Sharknado is an 18-day shoot. <laughs> yeah, it was a 21-day shoot because they, there was a break in filming for Family Ties because Meredith Meredith Baxter, I think Bernie was at the time, I think now she just Meredith Baxter, uh, she was actually giving birth. So they had a break from production, which opened up the opportunity for Michael J. Fox to do something on the side. He had three weeks to do it, so they crammed it all in. And of course, Michael J. Fox worked with Justine Bateman. 
Yes, mm. Justine Bateman. Where we right. have Jason Bateman's sister. They were together on Family Ties. Yeah. And I mean, for me personally, it just kind of worked out because even when I was a teen, I thought I was going to be a stockbroker. And I think I thought that because of Michael J. Fox's Alex P. Keaton on Family Ties. I mean, that was just the ideal family structure that I wanted as a kid. I mean, I grew up in a trailer and my dad smoked weed and, you know, beat the shit out of my wife on the, my wife, my mom on the rig. So I don't beat my wife. That was not a Freudian slip. But, but I would see that show and I'd be like, man, I would love to have a family like that. So I think I just had that tie or that emotional relationship there with, with Michael J. Fox because he emulated everything that I wanted at the time. I'm going to go on record, Larry, and, and guess that you loved Secret of My Success. Oh, uh, yeah. Michael J. Fox. It was amazing. Yeah, coming out of the mailroom and going through and falling in love with the, with the is executives. That, is that the one where they're having sex and he's kind of got that thing going with uh, yes. the can? Yes, yes, yes. He's in a really bad apartment and they're, they're next door doing their thing and he starts to orchestrate it. Yes, that is, that's... Uh, uh, I will comment, though. You know, it, it's true. I, I haven't seen Teen Wolf. But, you know, some of those other kind of... The, the genre of the time, you know, and you mentioned Fright Night. I freaking loved Fright Night. Fright oh, yeah. Uh, they were original Friday night was amazing uh, it's such a good movie and, and um what was the other vampire one you mentioned uh the lost boys the lost boys i loved the lost boys i mean that this teen wolf was kind of right into that zone there there was a lot of really great tv and movie stuff going on there i know it's the 80s i know the the cgi was was the worst makeup and and crap that you've ever seen but but it was still pretty good so i i am gonna remind myself to check out teen wolf i think yeah. i think i probably will i'm gonna watch it again because it's been so long since i've seen it so it, it's a lot of fun <laughs> ron and i will both watch it and we'll, and we'll give a tag on next week. we'll check it out yeah. cool All right. How awesome was Larry Roberts? Makes you want to go watch Teen Wolf again, doesn't it? Uh Uh-huh. I hear you. I feel you. All right. Up next from episode 39 of Crossing the Streams is Jeff Duoska and myself talking about Bob Ross, Happy Accidents, Betrayal, and Greed. Sort of a combination of, I liked it, but a fair warning as well. All right. Take it away, me. Bob Ross Happy accidents, betrayal, and greed. Sounds oh, fancy. Wow. I know, right? You're like, hmm. So Sounds let's, too dark. Let's break let's, it. Let's go. Let's break it down a little bit. One, it insinuates that there was something betrayal or greed, maybe that Bob Ross did. And Bob Ross is a beloved person. He's died over 25 years ago and probably just as beloved and known by as many people, more people than would uh, hopefully that many people know any of us. 25 years after our passing. But the happy happy accidents is his thing. That's obviously his thing. Uh, but the betrayal and greed was not him. It was what was it was what was painted against him. So it starts with Steve Ross, his son, kind of wanting to tell the story he's always wanted to tell. Now, here's the thing with documentaries and why I asked Ron earlier. This is a 90-minute documentary that I think should have been 30 minutes. I'm starting to think this this show has sort of like a theme. How long was the documentary and how long should it have been? <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> okay. All right. So it starts off with Steve Ross, the son. My opinion of this movie is a lot different than a lot of things that I read or, you know, of friends that have written. What I think those friends saw 
was their emotion of Bob Ross and not the actual movie. All right, so this is what happens. They, the whole thing is like, we wanted to talk to all these people, but Annette and Walt Kowalski. Annette and Walt Kowalski are the people that own the Bob Ross name and anything you see with Bob Ross on it, it's them and it's been that way for 25 years. They're the ones that have made all the money since his passing mm. off, off the Bob Ross name. Stephen Ross... Uh, I don't know if he made anything, but they make it seem like he really didn't get anything and he probably didn't. So, but it's his story to tell. And everyone is afraid that the Kowalskis will sue them. They, I mean, these Kowalskis were 80 in the in the 70s. I don't even know how they're still alive. <laughs> and so, I mean, they're old, right? And the, everyone's afraid of them and they own the Bob Ross name. And it talks about Bob Ross. And there's some nice things about Bob Ross and had this been about Bob Ross, I, it would have been nice. But what the name of this should have been was Bob Ross didn't know how to make a business deal and screwed his family. That's like the real, <laughs> maybe not on purpose, but that's really the name of the, the movie. So let me flash forward and save everyone the time. About the three quarter mark, it's revealed that when Bob Ross died and he had, he, had a, he went hard, I mean, he had cancer or something, you know, some real bad thing. And, they, you know, they painted, he was on this deathbed and the Kowalskis were trying to uh, pressure him into giving them him his name, his, you know, give them him his name. But that didn't go through. That just happened. And for Frankly, they were in business together and they probably wanted his name, you know, to keep going. So Bob Ross, in his will, gives Bob Ross's stepbrother, Jimmy Cox, is Bob Ross's stepbrother, 51% of his name and everything that's Bob Ross. And Steve Ross, his son, gets 49%. Now, if you've ever been in business, if you have 49% of something and someone else has 51%, you might as well have 0%, uh, unless that person is of some amicable thing. But in terms of decision-making or anything like that, you pretty much have zero, right? It's kind of like if you think like the Congress, yep. when the Congress, when the Democrats are doing it, it doesn't matter if there's a lot of, of the other one, <laughs> the one with the majority wins. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so uh, shortly after Bob Ross died, and this you learn this about three quarters through, and up until this point, it's, oh, the Kowalskis screwed everybody. Oh, I was robbed. My family legacy. Ah. And then about three quarters through, you find out that Jimmy Cox, a half-brother who owned 51% of everything, signed everything over to the Kowalskis. <laughs> so, and then once that <laughs> it comes out, it's like, then it kind of changes shifts. The last like bit of it shifts. Oh no, I'm Stephen Ross and I still paint and I'm still trying to get people to paint. You know, they do these seminars. That was a whole yeah. Bob yeah. Ross thing. They would go and nobody cares. <laughs> and it's like, it was almost just like they just tried to drag out this drama. And then once they revealed what really happened, which was a bad business deal, I mean, the stepbrother basically sold it. It's not like the Kowalskis screwed everyone. And this is, spoiler, why everyone was afraid they'd get sued, because legally <laughs> and everything was done the way, you know, I mean, it, look, everyone's emotions when watching this is, oh, Bob Ross. 400 the joy of painting he touched so many people and he did oh his son should have gotten something he should have but like that's not <laughs> whatever <laughs> the, but the the lesson is though and which really should have been the lesson of this show and uh earlier what was we were talking earlier with uh, nick cage with giving up all his money and losing his money is that they should make shows where they teach rich people how not to lose all their money mc hammer mm -hmm. you know all these people right yes and like and people like bob mm -hmm. ross or anyone of fame, like Barry White, Aretha Franklin, Prince, 
Howard Hughes, Pablo Picasso, all these people died without wills. So let the lesson be, even us non-famous people, everyone here and everyone listening, yeah. and let's go make a will. Yeah. If you've got yeah. kids, if you've got a, a, you know, a wife and kids, go make a will. I'm going to leave any- my Burger King straw to Bob Phillips. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but but, but my point <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm for Clint. <laughs> My fa- my favorite scene is in when Harry and Sally we joke about it all the time is like uh, when they're talking about possibly getting divorced and Carrie Fisher says I will never want the Roy Rogers wagon wheel coffee table. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so but the, the lesson of this should have been no matter how famous you are, it all comes down to what documents are left behind when you die. That should have been the message. Mm. And they didn't even make that the message. They just kind of like, you know, they kind of just skirted through it. And then he just realized that this is how his life's going to be and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, but that should have been, they, they, they should take these things and teach people what they need to do to make sure that their kids don't get screwed. And, you know, it's just, it's I, I think the professional sports leagues do that, Jeff. I think the NFL, NBA, major league baseball, when these guys get signed to those deals, I think they haven't talked to financial people to, to try to keep them straight. My, uh, my, my buddy, Jason, uh, was a real estate agent for uh first year NFL uh, players. And, oh, and he, that's exactly what yeah. he would work on is making sure yeah. that they didn't buy stupid things. Yeah, yeah so, many, so many people do, you know, the, the huge entourages and everything. It's like, the NBA, this is true too. The NBA has uh, people mentoring rookies on how not to get women pregnant in all this. This is not, not a, a joke. I believe that. Stay out, you know, go to your room, do your thing because of the instances of the, you know, these guys getting taken in well, by apparently that guy's not doing bag. his job. Apparently, yeah. that guy's not doing his job. <laughs> Oh, man, that's too funny. (laughs) All right. I guess I did get a little annoyed by that documentary. But the nostalgia that was maybe missed with Bob Ross, we make up for 100 million percent with Howard Rosner and his discussion from episode 16 of Crossing the Streams about the documentary, The Last Blockbuster. Take it away, Rosner. But we got the last Dude, blockbuster. Howard. Yeah. The very last. I owe them money. I owe them money. <laughs> <laughs> so this, uh, this uh, aside from uh, loving this movie, it was special for me because I did manage at a blockbuster video for the better part of two years. I loved this. Um, this goes along to me with uh, what we keep talking about every week. We seem to have one of these truly charming feel good movies and I thought this was a lot of that. I also thought it was a very very interesting commentary, uh, a social commentary. Just for the to summarize it, uh, when they started doing the documentary, there were four remaining blockbuster video stores, three in Alaska and one in Bend, Oregon. Long story short, it's googleable, you can find it. There is now only one store remaining in Bend, Oregon. That is the last Blockbuster. It's a franchise store that was originally an independent store that became a Blockbuster. The most fascinating thing that I found about this movie, and I couldn't think of anything else like it, was it was something that was so visceral and part and parcel of probably all of us, especially the older ones. It was such a major, massive part of our lives for a long stretch of time. That's what you did. 
I mean, even before Blockbuster, you went to the video store, you picked out a movie, you came home, you plotted holiday weekends around, we better go, there's not going to be anything left. We better go out now because we need to have six movies for a long holiday weekend. It's going to snow when you're going to be locked in. What the hell are we going to watch? Date, date nights. Yeah. Date nights when you were just dating with your arguing about stuff with your girlfriend or wife. It was such a part of our lives. And then it was gone. And I could not remember anything. I couldn't put my finger on anything else in my life that was like that. That was such a major part of life that's now just gone. I'm not technology, obviously, but this was, uh, it was just amazing. I liked it because there's a good business story to it too. I truly thought that the story was that they had an opportunity to buy Netflix, which they did. And that was the reason that the business folded was because they got pushed out by Netflix, which when you watch this documentary is not the case at all. There's actually more of a business, a little bit of business and economics that goes into this story. So that's a part of it. There's a lot of celebrities, B, C-list celebrities that worked at Blockbuster. Jamie Kennedy, the actor and comedian, was uh, in a his first work in Hollywood was a blockbuster commercial with Jim Gaffigan of all people. So I loved it. And then the other part of the story that's amazing is the woman who's managed this last blockbuster. She's been the manager for 20 years, her entire family and their neighbors and everybody they know, her kids, her nephews and nieces, they've all worked in the store. And to see everything that she's gone through up to this point, not knowing when or if the end would come. And she's just an amazing person. And it's really cool. It was just a really heartwarming movie and it, it was nostalgic for sure. I truly, truly, after my experience working with Blockbuster, if I ever make it out to the Pacific Northwest, I will go to this store. They talk in the movie about how every one of us could describe the smell mm-hmm. of a Blockbuster video. And yeah. that's absolutely true. You know, plastic. good candy. They always had good candy there. Good candy, a yeah. little bit of uh, the butter from microwave popcorn yep. packages, you know, just. Just the and the smell of the plastic and the tape. Um, Howard, did you, know. you ever do? Did you ever do the thing where your video was due and then you start doing the calculation of maybe I'll keep it for another day? How much is that going to cost me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you a funny story. It wasn't a blockbuster, but uh, Jeff will remember this. I mentioned this to my wife because she mentioned that she once had seventy dollars in late fees. We had a we had a fraternity brother. The first year we were in our fraternity house, nobody had a VCR. He rented on his credit card, his uh, a VCR and four movies. And the VCR kept bouncing around the fraternity house. The movies kept bouncing around. It kept getting later and more overdue and more overdue to the point where the video store ended up charging him for the VCR and the movies. I think the fraternity just decided to pay for it, like cut him a deal. To, and that became the house VCR for like the next four years. So yeah, it just, it was such, again, I, I couldn't remember anything else like that you know other things have improved technology wise right but there were not at its peak there were nine thousand blockbuster stores globally nine they said uh the statistic they said was at one point in time a new blockbuster was opening every 17 hours and they're all gone except this one store you have to wonder you have to wonder if like if like the rate of divorce and breakup since the blockbuster (laughs) <laughs> went away. And and the reason I say that was because the beautiful thing about a blockbuster was anytime there was what should we do? What could we what do we need to do? Let's go to Blockbuster. Right. right. And they, they it was just it was just there. And you could just do that. <laughs> and it was like right. and you would just go 
Sometimes, I mean, a lot of times you would move with it's funny. It's like going to a, a, a cheesecake factory. Sometimes it's like too many movies. You can't decide either. You know, you, you fight over what you're going to watch and all that right. kind of stuff. Yeah. And uh, I think yeah. Zach said he worked at one. I could picture the Zach, ma- the Zach recommendation <laughs> section of, <laughs> of the blockbuster. They talked yeah. about one thing about um, about you would if you were waiting for a movie and it just wasn't it was supposed to be in but it wasn't in yet and so you would do the thing where you would sit and wait by the counter for people to return yeah. movies yep. and I remember they doing would that stalk the counter I remember yeah. doing that yep and every yeah. time a movie would come in to shoot you'd be like what is it what, what's that movie what's that movie <laughs> exactly. I'm like man it's not even real wild give me some give me some time <laughs> yeah yeah crazy so uh, yeah, I I loved it again I thought it was a great combination of charming and heartwarming and pure nostalgia and great business sense um, or business commentary on what the hell happened. How did that happen that fast? Uh, I highly recommend. All right. And That's good news. Lot. We've convinced Casey. Oh, Ryan. He's making popcorn. All right. Great job, Howard Rosner. I saw the last Blockbuster documentary. also loved it. So great. If you have any memories of Blockbuster video, you got to track that one down. All right, so we talked about the last blockbuster, Teen Wolf and Bob Ross, Happy Accidents, Greed and Betrayal. You got a lot of decisions to make right now as you head over to the couch, grab your favorite spot, secure the remote, cross your own streams, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this special edition of Crossing the Streams. Visit us on YouTube for full episodes and catch us live every Wednesday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Now turn this off and go watch some TV. And don't forget to tell your family you'll be busy for a while.